Hello, and welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood, here with my co-host, Jason Hammond. Hey, um, today I actually have a hot take. And um, so the topic today is allergies, and um, my hot take is uh, I think most people have allergies. And uh, my example for this is... um, I think so. I was making a late night snack last night, and my roommate, who goes to bed earlier, uh, housemate, came out and uh, got a sip of water, and he had really red eyes, and his eyes were super dry, and he kept itching them. And he also leaves his window open at night um, to, to let the air in. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't know." He's like, "Dude, you have like allergies. Like your eyes are dry and and red and swollen from allergies." And he's like, "No, I don't think so. I don't think I have allergy problems. I don't sneeze," and it's. Uh, sneezing is not necessarily the only sign of uh, having an allergy to something for sure right so i I mean my experience has been that um, a lot of people don't want to say they have allergies or they don't think it affects them but um, i think in reality most people uh, could you know could have improvements if you know in their life if you know they were to address these things So this is interesting because allergies is sort of a tangential topic to two things we've touched on before. Uh, One, immunity, because the immune system plays a massive role in allergies, um, the adaptive immune system in particular. And the other part of it that we've touched on before is heart rate variability. So there's some uh, concept of using your heart rate variability in response to certain things that you believe may be an allergen to sort of rule in or rule out if that is in fact mm. having a negative effect, right? If you're, if you're allergic to something, it's theoretically a stressor and therefore that would cause your heart rate variability to decrease if you were exposed to it, if you were to have a, a short-term reaction to that stressor. Sure. So let's talk about what allergies are. What's an allergic reaction? So Basically, when you're exposed to some chemical that your body thinks is uh, poisonous or, um, you know, not a good chemical, it, it produces all of these, um, a series of reactions in order to fight off that chemical. And um, so the, the biggest one is histamine production. So that's why a lot of uh, allergy medicines are antihistamines. So they uh, decrease the amount of histamine that you produce. Um, this is the same thing with like, you know, when you have the flu, a lot of your flu symptoms are just your body's reaction to the flu. Mm-hmm. And um, so when, when you're exposed to whatever this allergen is that you um, your body doesn't like, you have all these reactions and they're actually just your body trying to, you know, fight off this thing that it thinks is like a foreign body. And like, um, you know, shellfish, the, the classic, I ate an oyster and then my throat locked up is um, actually your throat is swelling in reaction Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's your body's way of trying to fight off this poisonous thing but that you know that's the thing that actually um can hurt you or it's a it's a massive immune response to whatever stimulus right whether it's a fish or a nut or whatever something from the environment Mm -hmm. your body's identified as foreign and harmful basically and and a big thing is um it's like an overreaction Mm -hmm. um how do we tell our body that the peanut, you know, that I'm allergic to is actually okay, um, is, is part of the trick of um, how do we reduce allergy symptoms. So um, another way for you to tell if you have allergies, uh, this is more colloquial than anything else, but um, some people, you know, I feel great in the winter or I feel great 
in you know this northern city and then I come back to my you know regular place and I, I start to feel more down or I, I feel worse in the spring um, or you know sometimes the fall as well people who uh, nor- notice those patterns maybe um, allergies are to play uh, so yeah my other thing is Todd do you have allergies do you have experience with allergies oh yes absolutely okay every spring okay only in the spring uh, only springtime for me okay so I noticed the last two winters training. I had great training in the winters. And then come mid-March, early mid-March, my quality of my training really dropped off. I started to feel really bad. And um, I I think it a lot of it has to do with allergies. Part of it could be that that's when you start racing, you start doing higher intensity, stuff like that. But I'm really um, pretty convinced that allergies play a significant role in the changes in my capacity to withstand training and stuff like that um, between the winter and the spring. And so it sounds like you're suggesting something that's uh, environmental and seasonal as a, as a likely cause for your allergies. Right. And I, I think I fit in the same boat. Um, I don't know particularly what it is, but there's definitely something um, local too uh, that irritates me. And I, it's fairly predict like i can probably mark on a calendar within a small range over the last whatever five or ten years like uh, mid-march early april i'm gonna be unhappy for a couple weeks right so the reason we're talking about this we're you know the performance cycling podcast uh, a lot of people will have uh, drops in performance due to allergies and um, we're going to talk about maybe some of the allergens, uh, maybe how to reduce your exposure to them. And also, uh, if it's race day, how are we going to you know, do our best to combat this um, potential source of um, increased fatigue or um, you know, however it limits you. So um, also, I wanted to say sometimes um, inhalers and asthma symptoms can also be caused by um, allergens. Mm-hmm. So um, the first thing we're going to talk about is environmental allergies. So there's two types of allergies that we're going to talk about is um, environmental and then food. So first, let's talk about environmental allergies. So why, you know, they talk about why do so many uh, cyclists have asthma and why is everyone using salbutamol, you know, pro air, these little red inhalers. And um, one thing that I actually looked up was how many liters of air does a human use per hour? And so I, I got a stat that moderately active humans will use um, 2,100 liters per hour. Okay. Um, which is, so I think that's more easy to understand is, you know, like a, a quart, a liter, uh, 2,000 quarts for moderate, moderate level activity. So maybe a cyclist doing an endurance ride or um, maybe you'd consume a little bit more than that. You know, that's also two uh, cubic meters of air if... Um, you can get an idea of how much that is. And I, I bet moderate is more moderate than our endurance. That's probably our recovery rides. So like, yeah. Depending on where it comes from. Like, if you look at the U.S. physical activity recommendations. I think they would like, um, you know, if you like a like a plumber is like a moderately active, okay. uh, you know, job. So, okay. yeah, we, we will be putting down more air than that. But think about how much allergens, you know, airborne allergens could potentially be in that air. And... If you're doing a four-hour endurance ride, you have four times that many, and you know your endurance rides could be out in nature, you know, in the woods, in the plains, you know, next to all these wildflowers. There's so many potential allergens. So even a small response can be magnified by this just massive amount of air coming into your body. Yeah. Your 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 nose has an air filter sort of built into it, but it's only so good. 
And, I mean, are you breathing through your nose um, on these endurance rides? Depends depends how fast you're riding. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, you know, endurance rides, maybe. That's true. But, um, you know, certainly for these four-hour rides, I I do a lot of mouth Mm -hmm. breathing. So, you know, you have much less protection in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of the main symptoms of environmental allergies... Uh, sneezing this is the classic like oh we went to the local gardens and uh, you know my daughter just started sneezing every you know 30 seconds Um, you can also have like runny nose that's usually accompanied with sneezing shortness of breath that's the asthma related stuff you can also get itching sometimes you get headaches that's um, sinus headaches Mm -hmm. Um, you can also get fatigue wheezing also asthma and um, one thing that i noticed that is also possible is like a tight throat so um, if you're breathing through your mouth, the uh, allergens can get into um, your throat and then um, cause that to start to become inflamed as well. So, yeah, the other thing is, um, you know, these environmental allergens, if they are in a large enough concentration on your body, they can cause, you know, like the itching, they, mm-hmm. they can cause hives, stuff like that. So um, if these allergens come in contact with your body, they, they cause inflammation, they cause swelling, uh, redness, stuff like that. And again, that's just the the body's response, right? To trying to rid you of it, just to activate the immune system, cause the inflammation, get the white blood cells mobilized, all all these things, your immune system acting to protect you, even though in most cases, these things are largely harmless to the human body, right? It's not like Mm -hmm. you got bit by a spider, for example, or a venomous snake or something like that that's actually endangering you mm-hmm. um allergies a little bit uh, i think it was a little bit of a mismatch right between the potential danger of the chemical to the human body and the response of the body yep. that is accompanying it so there's this autonomous response and um so, you know since it's autonomous we can't really control how intense it is and um, part of what we'll talk about at the end is how do you control this stuff and um you know, basically you have to convince your body that it needs to not react in the way it is. But um, let's talk about maybe some of the things that can cause environmental allergens, allergies. So um, first off is something like dust mites. So if you have some indoor allergies, like you maybe feel worse in your house than outside, um, it could be something like your mattress or your furniture that has um, little, basically they're microscopic bugs that can live in your furniture. And some people are allergic to them. Uh, so that, that would be something if you had like indoor allergies. Another thing is like pollens and grasses. This mm-hmm. is particularly something that cyclists would be interested in. So, you know, around, I think California, especially since it's dry, there's a lot of um, open fields and stuff like that. There's a lot of opportunities for pollen and grasses to grow and flourish. And especially in the spring, I think for you, Todd, um, if you... It's that one day that it's especially hot. Maybe it was cold or a little cooler for a week. And that one day it gets really hot and all the flowers open up and all the pollen gets swept into the air because it's super dry. And then you just have this massive amount of pollen just floating around. And yeah, and, and sometimes, I don't know if you see, like I park my car outside. It's like your car is coated in a nice layer of pollen. If yeah, it's, it's parked like for a day or two. A little yellow tinted. And yeah, it's like a little film. And you're like, you clean off your windshield and you can tell the difference. The edges of your windshield is like a, mm-hmm. a yellowish color. Yeah, I mean, you could pretty much like stamp that date on count. I'm, yep, I felt terrible that day. Yeah, and so on that topic, like... I remember one day in the spring, I knew it was a bad allergy day because I, I feel like I have a, you know, oh, it's allergies. Other people were like, I just have a bit of a cold. But it was like four people who said, 
I just have a bit of a cold all on the same day. And it's like, well, you know, how do you say to them? Well, I think it's allergies. Um, (laughs) So I think that's the interesting part. And that's always the debate I have with myself in the springtime. It's like, hmm, okay. It could still be the, the tail end of getting a cold, certainly. And working in healthcare, I'm exposed to all sorts of germs and people coming in and out and, you know, are they contagious, not contagious? And you you can be religious about washing your hands, but that doesn't necessarily help you with certain, uh, you know, airborne transmission of disease. But, you know, that aside, so the question I always ask myself is, okay, am I getting a cold right now or do I have allergies? And usually if I give myself 24 hours, I can answer that question pretty definitively. Mm -hmm. Like, nope, that this has progressed down the road of cold symptoms uh, or no, this is, this is definitely progressing down the road of allergies. Okay. Um, and I, I, I treat those differently. Um, I think one, my, if it's a cold, my immune system's working on my behalf to get out the virus and if it's an allergy. Like my, my immune system's working, but it should be on vacation. Yeah. So I think that's something, another thing to think about is like, I get colds in the spring. Well, maybe it's not colds. Yeah. Um, and you should be able to, even though some of the symptoms feel the same, you should be able to differentiate them with mm-hmm. a little I don't know, with a little thought. Right. So other things that could potentially be um, environmental allergens, something like pet dander. I think a lot of people are pretty aware of their pet allergies. You go to your friend's house who has a cat and, you know, you're, oh, crap, I feel awful. Um, or, you know, a dog, like, for example, I, well, this is actually an interesting thing um, that came up. So... I remember hugging my brother's dog and, um, you know, my neck was then like a little bit itchy, a little bit red. And, um, so that could be the pet dander. So dander is actually like dead skin from Mm -hmm. the animal. It could also be the hair that accumulates, but it could be the grass or pollen that -hmm. the dog ran through for the last two days that's Uh sitting on the the hair that hasn't been uh, washed out or pushed out. Well, or depending if you have what areas, poison oak, poison sumac, something like that, you know, if a dog's gone through that and the oil's still sitting on their coat Mm -hmm. and, you know, you rub up against them and now they've transferred that oil onto your skin. Yeah, so um, if you, you know, say you don't have any um, sort of sneezing or um, any sinus issues or headaches when you're around a dog, but maybe you have issues with contact, um, maybe you should steer away from the idea that it's the dog itself that is the allergen. Um, The other thing is uh, mold and cigarette smoke are the other two um, environmental allergens. So mold is actually really interesting. Because it's a lot like pollen in that it's really rampant outdoors. Think um, like decaying leaves in a forest. I mean, what is doing the decaying? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's the mold, the fungus that breaks down the leaves. It's a natural part of the, you know, the environmental process. But these mold spores can really easily get airborne. So if you're in an area where there's a lot of decaying leaves or decaying wood or anything like that, you can get a lot of... Um, mold in the air and if your body thinks it's an allergen that can be pretty detrimental and then uh the last one cigarette smoke um i you know i had a old housemate that smoked outside and um you know i didn't notice like i didn't think it was a problem uh she had her own room like um but apparently people can show 
um, symptoms or, you know, have issues with uh, someone in their household who smokes outside and then, you know, just the smoke gets on their body and then they come back inside and that can be enough to trigger some, some asthma um, issues or something like that. So maybe if you have a housemate or something like that, that smokes, that could be a potential problem, but I'm not sure I wasn't able to, you know, narrow it down uh, personally. Gosh, it's, it's funny. So I feel like particularly where we live, it's so rare to see someone smoking it's almost like i i wouldn't even have concern i mean i know that's an allergen but i it doesn't even you know cross my yeah. mind is that so rarely and that i ever see somebody smoking yeah i think that it's definitely more of a problem in um like european countries like it's culturally more common mm -hmm. uh, than american um so those are your environmental allergens if any of those seem to you know ring a bell of i think that's how most people start on the allergy train is like yeah i do always sneeze when or, um, oh, I do always feel a little bad if. Um, Start, starting with correlation and then maybe moving down to causation over time. Yeah. So, you know, once you get more data in, then you start to get a little more convinced. So let's talk about food allergies a little bit. This is um, another interesting area. I think a lot of people have talked about food allergies. It's kind of a hot topic recently. And um, the big symptoms are like inflammation in the gut, digestive issues, uh, sometimes something as intense as like gastrointestinal distress, another word for uh, it's all coming out at once. Um, <laughs> you can also get stuff like burping, farting, um, throat tightness, uh, difficulty swallowing, um, headaches, and fatigue. And so, then the, the extreme ones, right, is like anaphylaxis. Yep. You know, like, so you usually, you know, hopefully you have an EpiPen and, and all that. Yeah, that hopefully you've identified your allergen mm -hmm. early enough and noticed that you're really allergic to it. Um, and I think people, I mean, people who are that allergic uh, maybe don't really need our podcast in that, right. you know, they've already seen they, a doctor. Yeah, they've and, identified and, that. Yeah. So um, these are, they can be a little more subtle. So my example with food allergies is um, when I was getting my computer science degree, I would have long coding days, like, yeah, this project needs to get done and I'm going to work on it for 12 hours today sort of thing. And rather than stopping to eat, I would snack on a canister of peanuts. And the next day, I would have like really bad um, morning, you know, gastrointestinal distress. And, um, you know, how do you say this? It, you know, it was not pretty. And uh, that was sort of the first indicator that, oh, my gut, like really does not like these peanuts. And basically what happens is, um, actually, so I read about this recently. Your gut, like your um, digestive tract, is actually like considered the outside of your body. Uh, sure, in a sense, yes. So, like thinking about, um, like it's basically no different than your skin, if if you want to think about it in that way. Um, so, when you have food, um, imagine it's similar to placing that food on your skin. And so, you know, the way allergens work: if you have an allergen, you put it on your skin. You know, red. Um, you know, itchy, hives, stuff like that, you can think of sort of a similar thing happening in your gut when you have an allergen that your body thinks is this foreign, you know, bad poisonous um, item. So that's a lot of the time if you have a food item, your gut, you know, can feel a little weird. It's having a very similar reaction to if an allergen was directly on your skin. Yeah. And then of course, it's got the extra responsibility of doing all the things to make it go away quickly, right? Which is why your stomach does not feel awesome. Yeah, uh, it's, so it's coming out one way or another, and it's trying to do it fast. Right when you when you have an upset stomach and your body's just trying to just push the food through, get it away. So um, the main 
allergens uh, in terms of food stuff is, and so the, the whole point here is if you have a really bad food allergy, you've probably already seen a doctor. You already, you know, maybe you have an EpiPen, maybe you have, you know, these ways, these combative strategies, but if it's more subtle, maybe, you know, um, one of my old friends uh, was at a conference and he just ate cashews all day and he would get these horrible headaches at night and he didn't realize it was because you know, he had a, a subtle tree nut allergy and he never ate enough cashews or walnuts or whatever to actually have symptoms. Um, so, you know, maybe I think something that cyclists do is they eat a lot. And so maybe if you have like a slight reaction to walnuts, well, maybe you shouldn't be making walnut rice cakes for your rides. Um, because, you know, maybe you don't have symptoms. Maybe your body would feel better if you didn't expose yourself to these allergens at all. So, um, Think about some of these things like uh, some people don't respond well to dairy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's like a big allergen. So um, not just lactose intolerance, but some people just their stomach oh, feels a little weird. Mm -hmm. um, eggs as well can be a common allergen. Uh, tree nuts, peanuts, um, shellfish. That's the classic. Um, I eat an oyster and you know, now I'm in a bad place. Um, wheat. So some people say wheat is an allergen. Um, specifically, I mean, if you have celiac disease, it is, if you don't, um, there are some people who are gluten averse and there's some ambiguity in the science. Like if you look at white papers, it's hard for people to prove that people without celiacs actually have gluten related so problems. Sensitivity. So some people, you know, feel better without wheat. Um, it's, you know, not really been produced in, you know, scientific papers. It's, it's, it's just interesting to me to think about it. There's so much that goes into the processing of our wheat, especially mm -hmm. in, right, especially in the U.S. that it's fortified, and you seldom get wheat just bare by itself. Yep. So you wonder if there's some other interaction that's happening that you know it's not the wheat per se, but there's something else happening. Maybe the 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 reactions that happen, or who knows in the processing. Yeah, or any of like the bleaching stuff or dyes or anything like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so the other two are soy and fish. Um, it's interesting on the, the topic of food allergens, um, even if you're not technically allergic to it, if a food upsets your stomach, it's a good idea to try to avoid it. Um, but, you know, maybe it's an allergy if, if you really get an upset stomach or you get gastrointestinal distress or any of these symptoms that we've talked about. Um, the idea behind that is your immune system is fighting this imaginary you know, the allergen, it's, it's an imaginary foe in, in that this thing isn't going to hurt you, but your body thinks it is. And, um, it's going to dedicate resources to mm -hmm. preventing this thing. And, um, you know, like we said, it changes your heart rate variability. It changes, um, it can change your sleep patterns. It can, um, you know, if your immune system's on high alert, you maybe don't recover as well. All of these things are good reasons to try to avoid, foods that you think you might be allergic to um, especially like we said cyclists eat a lot so you want to make sure you're putting stuff in your body that is going to help you recover help you do your next training ride as opposed to things that you know makes your body feel worse right, and puts you puts you under additional stress and i think i've mentioned this on at least a couple of occasions right is training is about putting your body under a very specific stress so you can create a response and ultimately become more fit or, you know, better suited to do whatever it is that you're looking to do. And, and part of that is to avoid unnecessary stresses. So an allergy would be an unnecessary stress. Sleeping five hours a night for most people would be an unnecessary stress. 
right, we can go through and, and make a list of prior things we've talked about. They're all unnecessary stressors to the system that aren't going to lead to improvements in performance. So yeah, if there's something that's not sitting well in your stomach, then it's probably worth at least experimenting to see if you perform better when you take that away. Right. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, okay, this is non-cycling related ways to improve your allergy symptoms. So the biggest one is taking something like an oral antihistamine. So the big brands are like Claritin, Allegra, and Zyrtec. And I was told by an allergist that basically they don't really understand why, but different people respond to different ones better. And, you know, genetics or uh, whatever you're allergic to or, you know, they, they don't really understand why. But basically, you have to try all three and you have to decide which one works for you. So can I, can I tell you a funny thing that sort of fits with that a little bit? Okay. Is I, I was talking to a pharmacist and, you know, somehow allergies came up. I don't, I don't even know why we ended up talking about this. And her response is like, eh, just buy the one that's on sale. They're all about the same. Hmm. That's interesting. So, just, just an interesting perspective. I've, I've had like I have not had that experience. Um, I have very different symptoms depending on the medicine that I use, and um, sometimes some part of the year one works better than other parts of the year. Actually, um, you know, I guess it depends on what yeah. the predominant, what the limiting uh, factor is, or what the yeah. driving factor is, and how you're addressing it. Right. So um, I would definitely recommend you try all of them. Uh, and just see which one you respond to best. Just buy is just buy them in turn when they're on sale. Op- yeah. optimize the strategy here. Right until you find until you realize that one of them is just so much better than the others, and then you're stuck, um, you know, with that one. But the other things that you can do are reducing your um, exposure to that allergen. So, for example, if you are allergic to pollen, um, you can you know non-cycling things you can do keep your windows closed, you can um, use an air filter, you can, um, you know, keep your car windows closed as well. That's like a big thing. It's just, you know, imagine driving down the road and, you, you know, you're just getting how, how many liters of air are coming in through your yeah, window, just getting sprayed with pollen. Um, and then for cycling specific stuff, if it is something like pollen or another airborne um, allergen, then you should, you know, try and take a shower as soon as possible after your ride. You should try and get out of your clothes as soon as possible. You should also take your clothes and put them in, you know, some sort of secured area that's separate from the rest Quarantined. of your... Quarantined. Yeah, um, because, you know, imagine how much air is, is hitting your clothes and they're damp, so then the pollen will stick. And if you just hang them up in the middle of your bedroom, you know, the as it dries off, you know, the pollen could just be releasing right onto your pillow or whatever. Um, and let's see. Yep, wash washing yourself um if you some people will do like a sinus wash right after Mm -hmm. a ride and then um in like more extreme situations you uh, can get allergy shots this is the most extreme uh, way to fix your allergies and basically you get a little shot of all of the things you're allergic to and they slowly increase the dosage until you're at you know some maximum dose and then they give that to you you know on a certain time interval for like up to three years it, t- it takes like three years but um, they give it to you on a certain interval and then your reaction to the allergen is decreased it's like the reverse of uh, a vaccination right and vaccination is supposed to get your immune system ramped up and ready to fight yeah. uh, this this invader that's actually harmful and this is sort of the the reverse right as 
let me present this potentially harmful, although uh, inert thing, and mm-hmm. let's get the immune system to ramp down so it's less reactive. Yep. So it's really interesting that, you know, yeah, basically you're injecting yourself slowly with um, this allergen and then your body says, ah, okay, fine, it's okay. And there are these ideas that um, you, the first few, few years, Todd, you might be able to give me more insight into this or more uh, medical insight, but like the first few few years of your life are apparently really important for allergen, um, like teaching your body that it's going to be okay. And there are these ideas that... Um, if you don't feed your kids peanuts when they're young, then they may be more sensitive in the future. And you have these really um, formative youth years where um, you have to teach your body that, you know, you expose it to allergens, it survives, it says, okay, we're going to be okay. Um, but as you get older, you've cemented the pattern of how you react to the allergens. Is that correct? Uh, to a point. So certainly the, the idea, I think peanuts, peanut butter is... It's like somewhat controversial thing, right? I mean, I have a young kid right now and we've given him peanut butter and the advice from the pediatrician was, you know, okay, well, does anybody in your family have peanut allergies with the first question? Okay, no, it's great. So then it was like, okay, at, you know, six or so, well, six, eight months, you can maybe give him a little, you know, dollop of peanut butter and see, you know, see how it goes. And it's like, hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about this like, well... If he goes into anaphylactic shock, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> we are worst case scenario. Now, the probability of that, given nobody in the family has peanut allergies, is quite small. But you know, this seems like why am I like very unscientific, right? Like, why am I not yeah. doing this with an EpiPen <laughs> hand or like medical supervision or something like you know whatever? So, mm-hmm. look, all good. You know, he's arrived. We all survived. It's all all good. No, no apparent peanut allergy. Now, interesting with. Uh, the immune system and allergies so at a certain point, yeah, if you have an allergy, you probably have it, but you can actually develop new allergies over time. And that has to do with the adaptive function of the immune system, which is super protective for us in the long run, right? Because the, the cold virus or the flu virus morphs over time, right? It's constantly evolving and trying to get the better of us. And our immune system is uniquely equipped to handle that and that it can adapt and basically build out a specific response to new foreign invaders. Hmm. So, you know, the 2019 cold virus comes along, you get infected, you're, it's new, so your immune system's like, oh, okay, I got to ramp up. And it ends up cranking out um, very specific proteins to uh, encapsulate that and fight against it. So unfortunately, well, that's great. Like, this is fantastic. So now our body is capable of fighting many foreign invaders. The downside to this is it can work against us and that we can develop new allergies. So if we get a misfire and, you know, whatever, I have chocolate cake and for some reason my immune system decides that chocolate's not friendly anymore. Because there, it, likely there's some chemical that's similar to something else that you're allergic to. Right. And I, I get a misfire. Now my immune system says, oh, I got to get this foreign invader out. And that it's now marked. It's now made that cell and it knows how to replicate it or made that protein knows how to replicate it. And every time it sees chocolate, it's going to do this process and cause this reaction. So it's a double-edged sword. Generally, from an evolutionary standpoint, I'd say this is a very good tool for us to have. However, in the case of allergies, sometimes we can get a little misfire. And then we can actually develop, you know, new or more allergies as we age and get exposed to different things. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about these shots is... um, 
like why don't we become immune to pollen by just exposing ourselves to pollen it's so interesting that actually an injection of it over time at standard intervals is causes this reduction in symptoms but just like existing in the allergen doesn't well i mean isn't the the analog that we'd have to find a way to exist in it at a a lower level that didn't activate mm. right i think we're like we're hitting this threshold right or we're you know i think in the case of pollen in many cases we're blowing by the threshold because there's that one or two days in the spring where all of a sudden you went from you know very little pollen to a ton of pollen and your your system's now overwhelmed yeah and if you know if nature was kind enough to us and said oh I will gradually ramp up the pollen this year and gradually ramp it down. I'm going to do this next year and the year after and, you know, till the end of time, then we would probably be less likely to experience allergies. Mm -hmm. So um, that's interesting that, um, what are they, I think the term is like super bloom is Mm -hmm. what they call it. Um, And I remember reading an article about a super bloom in England that like it killed five people because they had as they had like asthma attacks just going outside. Um, which is like really like strange, like crazy to think about that. Like, um, you know, they, they said asthma sufferers, like stay inside, don't open mm-hmm. your windows. Um, the other thing that I, I was thinking of when you were talking about um, the way our immune system works, um, you know, like say you have a piece of meat and it's like going a little bit bad and maybe there's some bacteria on it. Um, if you cook it and, you know, you, you make sure you cook it thoroughly Um, and you kill all the bacteria when you eat it your body will still recognize the bacteria Um, your immune system doesn't understand the difference between like alive bacteria and dead bacteria so vaccine right yeah just like that um so it's really interesting that even um you know like your body's going to react to the bacteria so if you have this meat that's like questionable and you are um, like a high performing athlete your body's still going to react to it so you should be even sort of more stingy about um, these things whereas maybe you would feel a little weird like you know you're just a sedentary person and i feel a little weird tonight whatever um and that's because the you know the dead bacteria like your body still thinks it's you know this foreign invader yeah it just depends on the how the integrity of the bacteria, right? If the the heat should denature the proteins to a point, and so if it denatures it beyond you know a recognizable state, then your immune system sees nothing foreign, right? It just sees fragments of amino acids all strung together. But if it only if it just it kills it, but doesn't denature it sufficiently where it, re- it resembles itself, your immune system's going to say, "What? Well, what is this? This is right. foreign invader. I need to do do my job." So um, the last thing we're going to talk about is actually how do we um, how do we mitigate our allergy issues uh, both day to day and for race day specifically. So um, for day to day, we talk about something like an oral antihistamine. If you specifically struggle with something like sinus headaches specifically, you can get something like a nasal spray. Um, if you have eye related issues specifically, there's eye drops. Um, you know asthma stuff there's a specific inhaler so using those on top of a full body antihistamine the problem with the full body antihistamine is the medicine spread out everywhere Mm -hmm. so um, if you only have a symptom in a particular place um, it's just not nearly as useful as something that you know directly attacks that place so um, this stuff is sort of like personal to each person what you know what are your problems Um, but Another thing to talk about is um, we're going to have a separate supplement episode at some point. We have that 
uh, on the list, but uh, we can talk a little bit about like WADA and USADA concerns in terms of like anti-doping concerns with allergy stuff. So um, first I want to say that I think the a big part of the WADA and USADA guidelines is to make sure that you um, you don't kill yourself or hurt yourself badly by taking these illegal you know, substances. Um, you know, like EPO can really thicken your blood and, you know, basically your blood stops moving and um, if you take too much of it. So, uh, you know, that's a good reason for it to be banned for the safety of mm-hmm. the riders, not just because um, it can give you a dramatic increase in uh, capacity. So um, a lot of these uh, allergy medicines are actually on the um, WADA or USADA list as conditional. So, um we can talk a little bit about like if you if you are not a national level rider, um, you can take conditional substances as long as you stay below the threshold. So usually the threshold threshold is going to be like two or three times the recommended dose on the bottle, which um, you know you shouldn't take that much any anyway. I think a lot of like um, sal- salbutamol or you know the the inhaler that everyone uses. If you take more than the recommended dose, you start to get um, really like fidgety and uh, your heart rate increases quite a bit and you know at what point is that no longer useful um you know they you know you're not intended to use like such a large dose just Mm -hmm. do what the manufacturer says but um if you're gonna do a like this is a really important a race for me it's in the middle of uh march or the end of march in the and, middle of the hay field. Yeah, it's the the crit is around a uh, a wildflower pat, patch. Um, what should you do? So, um, I think that there are you know start obviously with the oral antihistamine. I think that Allegra and Zyrtec are actually a little bit stronger in my opinion. But you know get the maximum over the counter dose. Uh, usually, I don't think even anything prescription is going to be much stronger uh, anyway. But um, do the do the oral antihistamine you need a nasal spray so hopefully you can get an antihistamine nasal spray um they cause me to be drowsy so i have to use a corticosteroid um something like rhinocort and um you know rhinocort actually i think you you can do like two sprays per nostril and like i think three sprays would be like not allowed so that one's a little like closer to the edge um maybe living on the edge and that's not a not one where you can have a a tue so um i think as an amateur you don't need a tue so i was doing research on this when i was getting my cat one um, because i do use the pro air the most Mm -hmm. and i use that in training too um but like I don't think you can get a T like imagine uh, how many, you know, yeah. no, that's, riders that's, that's are there. Fair. Um, so like just, it, just based on what I read, I I'm under the impression only if you're in the testing program, do you mm-hmm. need a TUE? Um, if you are just an amateur rider, uh, as long as you don't over, you know, go over the limits set out on conditional substances, then you're okay. So yeah, some sort of nasal spray. You can also do an inhaler. So, uh, there are apparently other longer-lasting options other than something like salbutamol because it gets processed fairly quickly in the body, especially the um, the spray. So, um, you know, if you have an allergist, I'm sure they can point you in the right direction if you need, if you're a road racer or you, know, you need something. I think uh, salbutamol is like an hour and a half. So if you have four-hour races, you probably want um, something else. And then um, the other thing is something like eye drops. So depending on... Um, you know, I always gravitated towards the biggest glasses I can find and I always found them the most comfortable. And maybe that was because, 
that's the least amount of pollen that can fly into my eyes. Um, so if you do have eye issues, I remember one of my old collegiate teammates, every race he would always complain about how dry his eyes were. And I just wonder if maybe they weren't dry, but um, just heavily pollinated. So those, I would actually do all of those. So eye drops, inhaler, nasal spray, and oral antihistamine all before a race and sort of you know we all have our pre-race ritual and um some people it's you know i like to do dynamic stretching you know maybe a little bit of time on the bike make sure your your kit and your food is all um exactly as you want it to be and then excuse me i'm gonna you know go put these eye drops in go to the pharmacy yeah so um i like i don't have personally have ethical concerns uh with this stuff um it's it just makes you feel not like crap at the end of the, you know, after the I, race. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think you're cheating anyone by doing that. For, in person, that's my perspective. But, you know, I, I think it's it's one thing if you're gaining an advantage over the field by doing something. I guess you could argue if everybody had, the, had allergies and you're the only person who had access to allergy medicine, then maybe it's not fair, but... You, we can all go to the drugstore and we can, we can all ask our PCP or a specialist doc about, you know, hey, I have these symptoms and, you know, what should I do for that if I'm going to do this long bike ride or, or what have you. So, I, you know, I don't think this, there's anything wrong with that. Um, so I don't, I don't think like, oh, gee, it's a, it's a heavy, heavily pollinated afternoon and that's like part of the competition conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it is part of the environment, but not in the sense like, oh, yes, we designed this course to have very heavy yeah. pollen so the riders <laughs> would have to struggle today. That, you know, that's not yeah. the intent. We designed this course to have 10,000 feet of climbing or be contested at altitude or whatever the other features of the race are to make it selective, not tons of pollen in the air so you can't breathe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's interesting. Also, it would really be unfortunate if someone wasn't allowed to race because they were concerned about an asthma attack, something like that. Like, no, you can't use an inhaler. It's like, well, like, I want to be able to race because I enjoy the sport, but, you know, I am concerned about, like, getting an asthma attack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for someone to say, no, you can't do that, like, um, that's, you know, that's not inclusive. That's not really what we want to represent, especially at the amateur level. you know, even at the pro level, like, um, what if you are just this amazing athlete and you really are dedicated to the sport and people want to give you money to race, but people are upset that, you know, you have a asthma concern. Um, I think that's kind of unfortunate if that's your view. So yeah, if that's the, what's limiting someone's participation in sport. Yeah. So the only, um, here's my now unethical, well, I don't know if it's unethical or not, but, um, it's it's certainly legal by all of the rules, but um, one thing that I found to really work well is taking a Benadryl the night before a race. And part of that is uh, it helps you sleep. Most people help them sleep, but also it really reduces your allergen response for you know a good 12 hours before the race starts. So not only are you using these other things to not have allergy issues during the race, but you've also really reduced your symptoms um, for the 12 hours before the race. So that's a little bit more, you know, wishy-washy, I think. That's that's interesting because I tend to take like longer-acting allergy medications personally, and I, I will tend to take it the night before. Uh, and okay. I, don't, I don't do Benadryl. I forget the one I, I use. But, um, yeah, I tend to take it the night, like, night before, like when I go to bed. 
uh, and then I wake up in the morning. And Wait, I... so separate than like an oral, an- like your separate than your daily oral antihistamine? No, I just just want to do my dose. Oh, cause... okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but that, uh... I don't know. Who knows? That's, hmm. That may be my own uh, superstition playing into that more than anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, I take mine every day in the morning just as a habit. So, um, do you not take it every day? You just take it like for that one day? Well, I'll, I'll tend to take it, um, you know, for a week or something when that's when it's worst. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to, this could be a, a maybe a good way to try to see if you have allergy related issues on the bike is maybe take a Benadryl the night before a training ride. And if that's the best training ride of your life, um, you know, maybe you need to do a little more research into your allergy issues and measure heart rate variability. Yeah. And wait, so how can we use heart rate variability with, so if you take the, it's a little more, I I don't know if it has a long-term response, certainly a more acute response, right? If you're exposed to an allergen, you'd expect to see it change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could certainly, you could imagine tracking it over time and looking at like when, gee, like there's a ton of pollen in there. Oh, lo and behold, my heart variability has changed. Now, obviously, there's probably other things tra- changing in your training regimen, like your your relative load and such over time. So, you'd have to you have to be able to sort of interpret multiple factors happening. But I mean, you can also imagine if there's a day where you know there's a tremendous amount of pollen, and your heart rate variability drops drastically, it may be reasonable to hypothesize that that was the driver as opposed to some accumulation of load in your training unless you mm-hmm. just like hit a wall or you know fell off a cliff but you know those you know it's it's a little bit more complicated um with the longer term i don't i don't know if you would notice if say you had you were having a, a low level allergy response like you know over a couple of days your heart variability t- trended down you took this brand early before you went to bed and then you woke up the next morning if your heart rate variability would all of a sudden like trend back up to your baseline hmm. or be improved i don't know but this sounds like uh, something that could either be discovered in the research by digging a little bit deeper, and if somebody hasn't done it, by a little, you know, n equals one research study by a few people, and maybe a, a little case series to at least yeah. shed some light on it. So yeah, the only other thing I'd say about something like these, um, the acute uh, options. So like Benadryl is sort of like a, a low dose EpiPen in that like, Oh, I'm having a reaction. Let's take this now. And you know, it'll work in 20 minutes mm-hmm. or something like that. These should really not be taken consistently. So if you know, you want to do an experiment with taking one the night before, um, you know, your next day's training ride, you know, don't do that four days in a row. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe do it once a week or something like that. But, um, yeah, I th- there's something on the box about, you know, how many days in a row you can take it, but um, it starts to, starts to do pretty weird stuff if you um, if you take it too much. Yeah. Histamines are normal. It's part of. Yeah, oh, yeah. His, histamines themselves are actually incredibly interesting. Like if you, um, like it's weird if you have too many histamines, you get fatigued. That's sort mm-hmm. of the fatigue thing. But if you don't have enough, you also get fatigued. Um, like like many things in the body is there's a sweet spot and weird things happen on either either extreme it's like um you know the right amount you feel normal you have a little bit too little you can feel like excitable that's why some people get excitable when they take um antihistamines and then you have like too little then you get fatigued again but if you have too much it's just like can we just have like a normal linear curve you know like just a just a gradient instead of this you know weird non-linear yeah crazy loop so 
Yeah, that's allergies. Um, I think that it's worth investigating uh, because you might be banging your head against the wall about, you know, whatever is, is my diet messed up? Is my training messed up? Is whatever messed up? And you just haven't even considered allergies as the main driver and something that's limiting you. It's, it's worth checking off the list and uh, just making sure you don't have anything. You can also get, if you're really convinced or you really want um, strong evidence, you can get something like skin testing or um, you can get, also get blood testing. Although the skin is supposed to be more accurate, so they'll actually uh, prick you and um, put a little bit of the allergen into your skin and see basically how much you, uh, you know, how, how red you turn. And then there's a way mm-hmm. to gauge how intensely you're allergic to it. So that can be like a really definitive way if you don't like the pseudo, you know, well, this morning I didn't feel so great sort of science to it, which I think can work fine if it's, you know, if you're not really allergic to it, it can work fine. But if you um, actually want to know for sure, you you should get skin tested. So. Yeah, the, put a nice checkerboard on your back and see yeah. what see see what has a reaction. They they put a big array and they just poke you one after another mm-hmm. for you know, and, and they have the whatever eighty to hundred most common allergens, and um, it can be really enlightening. I, I thought I had some food allergies, and then I did the skin testing, and you know, you don't have any food allergies. It's like, well, okay, and. Um, you know, it, it's so what else could it be? Um, it just like helps narrow down like how you're feeling and, and what potential causes are. So, um, yeah, that's allergies. Um, as we always say, keep the rubber side down. Um, and if you want to share anything or sorry, <laughs> if you want to, uh, if you like our podcast, you can share it uh, with friends, uh, with your competitors, if you're the type to uh, let your competitors have uh, the same advantage of you. Um, or uh, you can leave a review or um, like us on you know any of the platforms. Awesome. Until, until next time. <laughs>